It's been a warm morning already. But it's been uh, it's been great being together, been great worshiping together this morning. Um, so far, it's been fantastic hearing from Alex. Brother, you are an inspiration, man. Um, and your family is awesome. You have come so far with your English. It's it's uh, it's just so great, so great to hear from you. Um, thanks for being so vulnerable with us. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just great hearing from you, hearing about your family and and um, and Brian is fire, man. He just he just wants awesome things to happen, and uh, he's 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 awesome. He's awesome. Um, had a good time yesterday. Um, we had a, a block party. Um, well, it was supposed to be a block party, but it was all at my house. And so it was pretty cool. We had a good time eating a lot of food. And uh, uh, it was a Caribbean block party. So we had jerk pork, jerk chicken, you know. And so... And, and and so so uh, Justin is here with his family, and Justin and Brittany are here, and and uh, and so uh, one of my neighbors and and and, uh, and Damon Damon is here somewhere. Um, he's probably still dropping his his two boys off, and um, they're my neighbors here, and um, and and so and Justin's initials is JC, but I'm gonna call him CJ from now on for Chef Justin. Because he made some wicked jerk chicken yesterday, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's and so it was awesome, but yeah, it was really good. It was really good. It was it was very good. Um, he, he made it just like the Jamaicans in Jamaica with the pan chicken, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it was really good. It was really good. So he took me back home yesterday. So it was awesome. We had a very good time. Good fun. Good food. Good folks yesterday at, at the house. Um, so I want to definitely welcome my neighbors for for being here, um, being here with us today. And so we've been we've been going through a series. Next door is the series that we've been going through, the art of neighboring. That's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks, right? And so we're closing off this series today. Um, and uh, we just want to really kind of talk today about um, obeying God's word and and. and and uh, just a little bit about Christian living and loving your neighbor, as we've been talking about for the for the past four weeks. And so let me just go ahead and recap a little bit what we've been talking about for four weeks here. In week one, we focused on Mark 12 in week one, uh, Mark 12, 28 through 34. Um, you know, really looking at the fact that I can love my neighbor by showing care and compassion for you know, even the sick and disabled in our communities, right? Because they are indeed our neighbors, right? And so week two, we looked at Luke 10, 25 through 37, uh, looking at the fact that we can, you know, we can, we can exhibit love, God's love to our neighbors when we remember that we too are indeed in need of God's mercy, right? And, and so, so everybody is really in need of God's mercy, amen? And so last week, Nathan preached the word about forgiveness, talking about the fact that uh, we can love our neighbor through forgiveness, right? And he focused on Luke 6, 27 through 36. And so, what, so here's what we're, we're going to explore today, is that we can exhibit love 
God's love to our neighbors by sitting beside them, right, in moments of grief and celebrating with them in moments of joy. Right? We can do that and love our neighbors in that way. Right? Why? Because I can love my neighbors by sharing life's celebrations and griefs with them. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy. We are grateful that we not only call our next door neighbor our friend, our are our friend from next door, our neighbor, but we can call everyone our neighbor, Father. Father, our brother is our neighbor. Our sister is our neighbor. Our family members are our neighbor. Our, those in our homes are our neighbor, Father. And we love them. You have called us to love them as you love them, Father. God, I pray that today's message will not be just my message, but it will be your message to us. It will not be my opinion, but it will be your word to us, Father. I pray that you inspire this, and I pray you open our hearts and inspire us. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. And so um, in, let's turn our Bibles to Romans 12, starting in verse 9. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You getting tired of this list yet? I hope not. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What an instruction by Paul. You know, one of the ways God shows how important his commands are is by repeating them, right? We will read the scriptures and, and he will repeat over and over and over some things, right? This, the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we will see a lot of things be repeated. And it's for importance. 
And so a lot of things here we see being re repeated. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul reiterates what distinguishes a true follower of Christ from the rest of the world. And his words in Romans 12 strongly echo the words of Christ. He begins by urging the church to let their love be what? Genuine. Let your love be genuine, not fake, not to love haphazardly. I think sometimes we even use the word love haphazardly. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. You know, and then the other person may retort, oh, I love you too. Love you, bro. Love you, sis. Right? And we just, say, we just throw it out there. Right? It says, let it be genuine, not fake. Let it be genuine. And how is it genuine? When we show it. When our actions prove it. We're not just saying it, but we're, we're doing it. Like it's an action word. God's love for us is, 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 is not based on anything we have done for him. It's based on his sincere concern and a desire to have a deep and abiding relationship with us. This is a genuine love, isn't it? You know, verse 14 through 21, it resembles the words Jesus spoke to the religious leader in Mark 12, 28, 31 through 31, which we discussed in week one. But there is one additional way that Paul adds to the manner in which we show love to our neighbors. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You know, these words are not specifically spoken by Jesus, but Jesus, he shared many examples by how we should rejoice with others through his ministry and teachings. He gave so many examples throughout the Gospels about how we should do this. Not only did he celebrate Jewish holidays, right, with friends and loved ones, but we also see that he celebrated life events such as weddings and the wedding in Cana in, in, in John, uh, John 2, right? Where, they, where they're drinking wine and they're having a blast and, he's, and they're celebrating, he had this conversation with his mom too. Hey, give him more wine. Right? They're having a blast. They're celebrating, having a good time. However, there was nothing Jesus celebrated more than the restoration of the lost. There's nothing he celebrated more than that. Jesus loved to celebrate. Do you love to celebrate? When you come to church, do you like to celebrate? Or do we go, oh, go to church now? <laughs> do you love to celebrate when you come to church? Do you love to sing and worship? Or is it like, oh, I'm going to church, you know. Here we go. Get my hair done and I'm going to church. You know. You got to celebrate going to church, man. It's awesome. Sometimes I invite people to come to church and they're like, huh, church? Can you invite me to a movie or like 
It's like, come on, man. Church is a celebration. Jesus loved to celebrate. The next time you attend a wedding ceremony, actually focus on what is happening. This is a celebration. Right? When we went to Nathan and Ariel's wedding, it was a celebration. Right? People, 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 you know, they, they come together to celebrate the love of the bride and the groom. And their celebration is not just focused on the present moment, but the, the future of the bride and the groom. You know, for some of them, they're, they're even celebrating, you know, events in their lives that, that this wedding feast reminds them of. You know, a lot of times when you go to the wedding, you can, you can get caught up in a conversation at your table or, or be lost in thought about how good the food was. What's two of the chefs back there? Certainly not Justin. They ain't making no jerk chicken back there, right? Who are who, who's who's cooking the food? Or you get you get caught up in how much the venue must have cost, like what they shell out for this wedding, or or other such details, right? And sometimes you miss what is happening right before your eyes. The love of two people is being celebrated. Likewise, a lot of times you can come to church and get caught up in conversations with others. Or the duties and responsibilities you volunteered for, right? That Sunday, whether it be ushering or, or kingdom kids or security or whatever it is, and, and you get caught up in all of that. Same thing on Wednesdays, and you miss what is happening at church. A celebration of love. The love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. And you miss it. Jesus loves his church. And he wants us to celebrate that. Because it's awesome. He wants you to wake up early and be like, man, I'm going to church to celebrate. This is going to be awesome. He wants you to wear yourself out at the celebration. And you go home and you're just like, oh, I got to take a nap. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just feel worn out like that was the greatest celebration ever. Better than the block party. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, woo. It's just awesome. It's a celebration. You know, as, as Darius mentioned in one of his messages, one time he had a message and he, he preached in the park. And he says, he says that, you know, church is not for entertainment. It's not for entertainment. We are not here to be entertained. He even referenced, what was it? I forget what movie it was, The Gladiator. You know, he's not here to be, we're not here to be entertained. Or just for the fellowship. But it is indeed a celebration of love. And so here's what that looks like. In Luke 15. Luke 15 contains three parables of celebration. The lost sheep. 
If you turn your Bibles to Luke 15, I don't have uh, the scriptures on the slides for this one, but Luke 15, this, it talks about these celebrations, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son, right? Verse 1 in Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you, one of you has a hundred sheep, right? And loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 and, and open in the open country, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. Now think about that for a second. He leaves 99 sheep that he loves in open country. Open country, right? Where these 99 sheep could be at harm. But he leaves them in open country to go after one. To go after one. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors. So his neighbors may not even be his friends. He may not like that neighbor down there. He may be like, this dude down there, he's noisy. Drives motorbikes all night and jump. Right? They may not even like him too much. But he calls them anyway. He calls them together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Come celebrate with me. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner one sinner, not a whole church of sinners, but one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. More than 60 righteous sinners who do not need to repent. One. So in this first parable, Jesus depicts a shepherd dropping everything to find one sheep out of a hundred. When that sheep was found, the shepherd called everyone he knew to celebrate. You think Jesus don't like to celebrate? Verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends. She lost, she lost coins. Now she's going to call friends. And what? Neighbors. Together. And says, rejoice with me. Come celebrate with me. I have found my lost coin. If I lose a coin... I ain't calling my neighbors to tell them I found my coin. You follow? But this lady, she's calling her neighbors and friends to say, guess what? I found my 
penny. I found my coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Second parable about celebration. This woman searches for a missing silver coin, when, which, which would have been probably to her of immense value. I know I make light of it, but to her, it's immense value. And when it's finally found, she too called everyone in her community to celebrate. Now, I'm not going to read all of this one. This one you guys probably know, this parable of the prodigal son. But the thing is here, in the final parable, Jesus tells a story of a father who waits patiently. He's looking out for him. And he waits patiently for this difficult son of his who decides to take his inheritance and go. And he waits patiently for him to repent and return home. When the son returns, the father has already extended his forgiveness. And what does he do? He calls for a celebration like no other. The biggest celebration he's probably ever thrown for anyone. He's celebrating his return. Such a beautiful and convicting parable. Jesus wants to celebrate. And he'll do it over one. One person repenting and changing. One neighbor. One person. One individual. One friend. One family member. One teenager, one grandmother, one student, one workmate, one person disabled, one homeless person, one. Not 50, not 99. One. And he's going to celebrate. Sometimes I think we think like, oh, I can't do this because you know what? I can't, I can't help 99. One. Causes celebration, y'all. It's easy to celebrate when our friends and our loved ones Receive back lost property, right? Wealth, health. When they when they get married and when they achieve great victories. But the mark of a true follower, the mark of a disciple of Jesus is genuinely rejoicing in the restoration of the lost. Is there someone you know who had a dark past but has repented of their sin? 
and is now actively pursuing a holy life. Rather than questioning their repentance or holding up their past sins as proof that they're somehow unworthy of serving the Lord, as the Pharisees and scribes did, Jesus calls us to celebrate when one who has lost is found in Christ. And when one who was spiritually dead is restored through Christ's resurrection and baptism. You know, have you ever lost something valuable and found it again? You know, after much searching, I remember a few things like that. I remember even sheer frustration. Sheer frustration. The stress it would be to just to, 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 to look for something. It would be easier for me to go to lost and found. Right? It's just stress for me. But that is never the case, right? You don't you don't have a lost and found when you when you lose something like a lost coin, right? Like like we just read about. I get so stressed out to the point of a headache sometimes. That's just how my head works. Claudette's laughing because she knows it's true. Like she tells me all the time, you can't find nothing. You can't look for nothing and you can't find nothing. That's why your head hurt. I guess it's a man thing probably, right? But you just can't find nothing. Damon's like, not this man. But... <laughs> But it's like, I can't, I can't find, and I got headaches. So I get headaches pretty easy, right? And I'm just stressed, man. And so, um, give me the next slide, Brian. And so, so when I, when I end up finding something, when I do find it, that's what I look like. I'm just like, I'm pretty happy, right? It's like this sense of joy, and it's like I can't stop smiling because I'm like, yeah, headache's gone. Headache's gone. I'm pretty psyched, right? You know, and, and but here's the thing though. God may not, God may not share this type of emotion, right? But the emotion he does share is the sheer joy when one who was lost is found. Right? When one who is lost is found, he is sight. He's just like, yes! And he's fired up for us. How many of us have reached out to those who have walked away from God? From walked away from the church to see how they're doing? Do we just forget them? How many of us have reached back out to them and say, man, how are you doing? I did that this week and I reached out to a couple this week and it was I was so delighted to hear about their new story. So delighted to hear about their new home, their new baby. I was like, man, that's so awesome. Right? And I'm going to keep reaching out to them. So awesome. Um amen. So Rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Mourn with those who mourn. You know, um, this is what the Apostle Paul said. And But, you know, some translations say weep with those who weep. 
Just as Jesus celebrated alongside his friends during life's milestones, and with those who repented and returned to, to the Lord, Jesus showed his love in how he came alongside his friends in moments of grief. You know, the act of love in which Mary perfumed Jesus' feet came in a meal, came at the time of a meal that, that took place after Mary and Martha had buried their brother Lazarus and chastised Jesus for not coming sooner to heal their brother's sickness. Now, instead of correcting Mary and telling her that Lazarus, right, had died to bring God glory, Jesus had compassion on her grief and asked her to, you know, take him to Lazarus's tomb. Now, in John eleven thirty five, 35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. And one of the most powerful verses where Jesus wept. It says, Jesus wept. So when, when Paul says, weep with those who weep, Jesus wept with those who wept. You know, when confrontation with a, when confronted with a grieving friend or neighbor, the common response for many of us as believers or followers, disciples, is to turn to verses like Jeremiah 29, 11 or Romans 8, 28, right? And, and read a scripture. But Jesus shows us, right, that the most compassionate response to someone facing extreme grief is to grieve, to grieve alongside the brokenhearted, to sit down with your arms around them and to grieve, to weep, and to mourn with somebody else. It's not necessarily to always whip out your super spiritual Bible. It's to sometimes put your arm around them and just to cry. Just to weep. You know, there's an article in Psychology Today that gave some pretty helpful tips about how to respond to somebody else when they're grieving. And some of the examples that it shares is, one is, how about asking if you can pack their freezer with dinner for a week? Just crying with them and say, hey, would you like me to fill your freezer for a week with food so you don't have to do anything? Are there any phone calls or emails I can make for you on your behalf? If somebody lost a spouse, they may not want to be alone at night. Would it be okay if, if I came over and just slept on your couch so that somebody is in your house? Would that be okay for you? Maybe there are dishes to be done from, from other visitors or, or thank you notes. Can I help with that? Can I write those for you? How about the idea of just being present without saying a word? 
sometimes people need these things. They may not, they're not going to, they probably won't come to you and say that. But we got to be able to offer those things. You know, Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those, saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to them. Psalm 147, verse 3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, if the Lord heals the brokenhearted, don't you think it's okay for you just to be there and just put your arms around them? If he's going to heal them, it's okay for you just to be there and be in their presence. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as, you, as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back. We will go back with you to your people. That's what they said, that no, don't, we don't want to part from you. We will go back with you to your people. They're not our people, but we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, no, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. So together... They're crying together because to Naomi, this was like, it was like the end for her, she felt like, you know. This was devastating for her. And so together they wept, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. You know, there's this book called A Loving Life. I read this book a few years ago and every now and then I kind of look through the book again. It's a great book, excellent book. And it's about... Um, uh, Ruth, right? The book of Ruth. Fantastic book. And there's an excerpt from the book that, that is just amazing that I would um, uh, uh, encourage you guys to read. Um, let me see if I can actually get there, if it will allow me to. Give me one moment here. Let me see if I can get there to read this for you. I'm not going to pull it up on the screen for you, but just give me one moment. Let's see. 